Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we have heard of the resurrection of Jesus. It is unfathomable to our minds to think about that, what that would be like to encounter that for the first time. And so we pray that you would draw near to us and grant us understanding of your word this day and grant us to go forth in joy, rejoicing that Christ is risen. We ask this through that very same Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Imagine a painting given to a small college. There's a benefactor, and he gifts to this small college this large and huge and beautiful painting. And they receive it, but lo and behold, that painting is too large to fit anywhere in the single building that makes up this college. There's nowhere to put it. There's no wall that it will fit on, no hallway in which it could go because it is just so massive, so overwhelmingly large. The painting is there, but there's nowhere to put it. What is to be done? What could be done about that? Well, the college could just simply ignore the painting. The college could just go on its way and pretend that the gift had never been given. Just push the large painting aside, shove it away where none would ever see it or even know that it existed. It would, in essence, just be discarded, left behind and forgotten about in such a way that, well, it might simply become legend. People vaguely remembering some ginormous painting, beautiful painting that the college had forgotten about. But they wouldn't really know anything else about it. Or... The other option could be that the college could confront that reality. Confront the reality that it is too small, that its building is too small. It is too little to handle such a magnificent gift. And so it could choose to do something radical, do something virtually unheard of. The college could simply tear down the single building and then rebuild from the ground up with the painting at the center. Rebuild everything around that one single painting. That it would recognize in that moment the importance of this one thing and so construct itself around it. And then bring everyone's focus upon this one object by making it central to the college. With everything else rotating around that reality. And that is what we are confronted with today or at least the Jews of the first century, they had been given a magnificent gift, one that was too big for how they existed. The resurrection was something that was beyond their understanding. And so they were confronted with a troubling truth. How do we deal with this gift? How do we deal with this reality that we cannot handle? Are we just going to ignore it and put it away? Or do we shift our understanding? Do we change the way that we think? Do we reconstruct our entire understanding of how the world works so that everything now rotates around this one gift of the resurrection? That is the resurrection before the first century Jewish person. A reality that is beyond their grasp. Something that they could not have expected. Something that they were refusing to expect. Something they just hadn't grasped 
or laid hold of prior, even with Jesus talking about it. In fact, anyone from the first century would have been shocked at the idea of resurrection, of a single man being resurrected from the dead. It just doesn't happen. For the Greeks, it would have been absolutely scandalous because for them, for most of them, the goal was to get rid of the body and to become the pure soul that ascends. The idea of one man being resurrected from the dead is just mind-boggling. It is the great and glorious ginormous painting placed before the building of our minds that we have to be asked, what are you going to do with this painting, with this resurrection, with this reality that you cannot understand, that you are not prepared for, that you had never thought would happen? Will you rebuild around it? Will you reconstruct everything? Of course, for us, we have another problem too. We're too used to the gift of the resurrection. We celebrate it every year. If I'm having a good year personally, it gets mentioned at least once a week, I think. But if it's not, if I forget to mention it for some reason in my sermon that Jesus is raised from the dead, then our worship Our liturgy reminds us of it throughout. It reminds us that Jesus was crucified and has risen from the dead. It's part and parcel of our worship and changes everything. Nothing is meant to remain the same. All thought is to align around that resurrection. But I neglect the deep and utter impact it should have on my life, that reconstructive value that has to occur. With the resurrection, everything must change. And that everything includes me. But here in the Gospel of Mark, what we hear about is the unexpectedness of that resurrection. Why is it so shocking? Jesus himself had actually said in Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, and Mark chapter 10 alone that he would die, that he would be condemned, that he would be beaten and abused and rejected by the leaders in Jerusalem. He would be crucified. And he would die. But on the third day, he would be raised. He told his disciples about it over and over and over again. And yet, when he dies, they all flee. When he's taken into custody, they all abandon him and run away into hiding, scared about what's going to happen. He literally told them everything that was going to happen, and they run away scared and frightened. Peter turns and denies even knowing him, seeing the judgments that were being brought down against him. Three times Peter turned away from the Lord. And then we find the women here on that first Sunday morning. The Sabbath had passed. Everyone rested. And with sunset on that Saturday evening, they probably went out and bought the spices necessary to anoint Jesus' body. And first thing, as soon as the sun began rising, they got up and they went to the tomb. Think about the bravery in doing that, the courage necessary to do that. Here is a condemned criminal, a criminal who was accused of insurrection against Caesar, who was accused by the Jews of claiming he was God, who was accused of claiming he could tear down the building of the temple and rebuild it himself in three days. Here is a man that was utterly and totally condemned, mocked and despised by the vast majority of Jews. And here are these women going to the tomb all alone, to go and anoint the body. They were going to anoint the body. They had heard of Jesus' predictions of resurrection, but 
It had passed in one ear and out the other. They had either refused to believe or simply forgotten in the stress of everything that had just happened to them. And so they get there and it's unexpected what they discover because they're assuming they're going to find his body laying in that tomb wrapped in linen and that they will then go through the regular process of anointing that body, of showing that body the love and affection that it deserves. But they get there and instead... There's a young man in the tomb. The stone has been rolled away. The very thing they were afraid of as they were going and thinking, who's going to move that? It has to be moved for us to get access to the body and anoint it. But they get there and it's already moved. And so they step in and they look and there's a man there dressed in white. And they're scared. They're fearful. But the man quickly says, do not be alarmed. And he knows why they're there. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. The one who was crucified He has risen and is not here. He declares that Jesus has risen from the dead. And it's not a spiritual resurrection. It's not just a resurrection of spirit. It is a physical, literal, bodily resurrection because His body is missing. His body is gone. His body has disappeared. This has never happened before in the history of the world. A man who is truly and absolutely completely dead. After three days... On the third day, getting up and vanishing. And this angel tells them to go and tell the disciples and Peter, that man who denied him three times, go and tell the disciples as well as Peter explicitly that Jesus is going before you to Galilee and you will see him. They're shocked at this resurrection. It is unexpected because it's outside their purview. Everyone expected a resurrection, a general resurrection, or almost everyone, the Sadducees rejected the resurrection. But here, we know that some of these women would have accepted the idea of a general resurrection, that at the end of time when God came to judge the living and the dead, when all things were to be wrapped up, there would be a general resurrection. That's in multiple places in the Old Testament. Especially in Daniel 12, and even over in Ezekiel 37. This idea of the just and unjust being raised back to life in their physical bodies to be judged by God. But the idea of a single man being raised from the dead is unfathomable. And so how do the women respond? According to Mark here, they run away and they flee for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing for they were afraid. In all of our Bibles today, all the new translations, it says that some of the earliest manuscripts do not include verses 9 through 20. It's because a lot of us aren't sure how Mark was intended to end. Verses 9 through 20 seem to have a different way of talking about things that aren't quite the same as the rest of the book of Mark. And so some scholars assume that we must have lost the last couple of verses of Mark and other scribes came along and tried to kind of fill in the gap of explaining what happened after Jesus rose from the dead. Others think that Mark simply wanted to end right there at verse 8, that the women ran away scared and afraid with the theological question being put before you, what are you going to do hearing that Jesus has risen from the dead? I don't know which one of those works better or if these verses that follow are really part of it because I'm not a great textual critic. I can't understand all the ins and outs of the Greek language. But there is some question as to what the ending of Mark means here at verse 8, this part, this possible Short ending. I think that it just simply means that they were scared to death, that they were so 
unexpectedly shocked by this resurrection that they just ran away. And of course, we know from the other Gospels that they did finally tell people. They didn't keep it all to themselves. It was too glorious, too grand, too shocking of an event to hide away and never tell anyone about. But here for Mark, there is that question of how are you going to respond to this resurrection, to this reality that Jesus has been raised from the dead? How will you respond? Will it tear you apart? Will it break you down? Will it cause you to reconstruct everything you know about yourself around that reality of resurrection of Jesus? Will we step away from our laissez-faire attitude in thinking about it here 2,000 years later where we're used to hearing about Jesus being raised from the dead and adopt a bit more of that attitude of the shocking nature of it? That reality that all of science says this is impossible to happen. This doesn't happen. And that's why so many in the modern age reject a literal resurrection. It's like, it's impossible because that doesn't happen. It's never happened before. Well, according to Scripture, it's happened once. Jesus. But it hasn't happened since then. And that's unique that God puts Himself into history in this way. Into a moment laying out evidence after evidence after evidence that we can follow and understand about the resurrection knowing that it happened, trusting that it happened. And letting that trust, letting that reality reshape us that Jesus has been risen from the dead. And one of the things that that means that if Jesus is raised from the dead, He has been given a new kind of life. He's not in an ordinary physical body anymore. Paul will explain this more in 1 Corinthians 15 about just how Jesus has received a body that is now immortal. A body perfect for immortality that He has put off the mortality of His body by dying and in resurrection He has received a new kind of immortality. Paul sometimes calls it a spiritual body, but he's still talking about a physical body. It's a body that has been so imbued with the Spirit that it can't die anymore. And that's what we will receive one day at the end. We will receive that kind of physical body that will be imbued with life immortal, with life eternal, such that the physical will never wear out again. We'll be completely purified and healed of all things. And even now we are experiencing that reality of the purification of ourselves. Over in Colossians 3, we heard about that. We heard about the hidden life that God has given to us in Jesus. That out of that unexpected resurrection comes a fuller resurrection for us that is brought back to us. That as we look forward to that final resurrection that Jesus is the first fruits of, we look forward to that out of that general resurrection that is coming something comes back to us and comes forward from Jesus into our lives Paul says if you have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above seated at the right hand where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on the things that are above not on the things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God by Jesus's death We, when we are baptized and drawn into faith, die with Christ. And in faith we are raised up with Him and that life that is given to us is hidden in Christ with God. Is hidden with Christ in God. We have a new spiritual kind of life within, a resurrection life within, as Paul also calls it in Romans 6 where he talks about being raised. Our spirits are raised to life. And those spirits are looking forward to that final resurrection when our bodies will be raised and imbued with the fullness of life. 
But here in the here and now, we have that hidden life within us. And it is grasped by faith, by remembrance of baptism, by remembrance of the promises of God, by knowing the Scriptures and reading the Scriptures and praying and turning your heart toward God. More and more, it is there, but it's hidden. So hidden from our eyes that that's why we struggle with the resurrection. There will be moments in our lives where we turn from the reality of the resurrection and we sin and we pursue the things that are of earth because that life can become so hidden from our eyes. But all it takes is turning and confessing and receiving anew that life. And that hidden life becomes a little less hidden in us. And it's a back and forth throughout our days because it does remain partially hidden from our eyes, the fullness of life, because of the sin that still dwells within us. That we still carry forward our sin nature until the day that we die and it is stripped away. And so that hides from our eyes that new life, the fullness of life that we have. But every time we turn and confess those sins, that hidden life takes hold of us again. We come to identify with Christ once more. We come to draw near to Christ and to turn from the sins that are part and parcel of who we are right now in order that we might become who we are intended to be, who we have been made in Christ. The resurrection brings that new life to us. That unexpected resurrection brings unexpected new life to us, a hidden life that we can then walk in light of, that we can walk the path of. And we walk alongside Jesus because of that. Because He has literally been raised from the dead. And will literally raise us from the dead when He returns. Between now and then we have a real spiritual life that has been imbued to us who trust in Him. And as we learn to trust more and more, as we walk this path of struggle and suffering, just as Jesus suffered, He said we too would suffer. We will walk this path of suffering. Growing little by little in that hidden life. Receiving more and more of that hidden life in ourselves as we walk toward Jesus. But when our eyes turn from Jesus, we'll stumble onto a different path and forget that hidden life empowering us until such time as it comes rushing back to us. As others remind us of the promises of God, as we rediscover the promises of God, we are brought back to new life to that hidden life once more to return to the path that God has set before us. And so what will we do this day? The resurrection was utterly unexpected to the people of that day. And slowly but surely, the disciples, all of the disciples, the apostles and the many others who were following Jesus, the 120 who were left in that upper room 40 days later come Pentecost, they had rebuilt their understanding of the world. They had rebuilt their understanding such that they knew that Jesus was truly raised from the dead, that it wasn't a ghost, it wasn't a zombie, it was truly a man alive with new life that was unfamiliar, but yet the same man that they had always known. And they would then, when receiving the Spirit, go out and boldly proclaim the reality of that resurrection, such that everything turns around that resurrection. Our hidden life turns on the resurrection of Jesus. The final judgment turns on the resurrection of Jesus. And those who have trusted in Him receive His forgiveness and will be judged in the right, will be judged righteously, will be considered righteous before the eyes of God because we have received life through trusting in the name of Jesus, through trusting in the resurrection and the promise of Jesus. 
And that is what happens. We, when we trust Him, our world begins to rebuild around Him. And that unexpected resurrection becomes part and parcel of who we are. And so may we every day follow in that path, follow that unexpected resurrection, receiving it more and more, trusting that it happened, trusting in the reality of it happening, that that tomb was left empty and no one has ever been able to prove that there was a body in that tomb. Many disciples that saw Him raised from the dead would go on to die for the sake of Jesus. All of them, but John of the Apostles. The rest of them died brutal deaths, persecutions and martyrdoms. They never gave up the preaching that Jesus rose from the dead bodily. Twelve men held on to that truth to the end of their days. And that truth has spread across the world. And it goes back to those twelve men. And they spread it around the world and others came to be involved in it and wrote letters about it and made it more and more known around the world. And so we rest in that reality of the resurrection. May we always rest in it. And may we discover that hidden life that we have in Christ. And know that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with Him in glory. We will be renewed and changed just as He has been changed. And so may we walk this path of the resurrection life of Jesus that has been hidden within us because He is truly risen from the dead. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.